0: Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Good evening, Graybeard. How are you? (laughs) Ah, yes, my beard. In case anybody's wondered or has seen photos, I grew a beard for Halloween that hasn't left. I have kids and wife, and everybody keeps saying, I want the beard, I want the beard, I want the beard, so I kept it, and I hate it. I truly dislike my beard.
1: If they want the beard that bad, you could, um, I could bring you over a couple of, like small Ziplocs, you shave it, and give them all their own little beard sample.
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't think that would work. We don't even like it when the cats or the dogs shed. It's even Every, worse when I would.
1: Everyone's a critic.
0: <laughs> I just it, it no longer itches. I just don't like it. It just doesn't feel like me. That's fair. So, what have you been up to mm, today? Well,
1: since or the last general. time we've talked, it's been a few days. Well, let me clear my throat. <clears> throat> no, I'm just kidding. Not a lot, but a lot. Uh, just working on stuff for, um, for catering. So to be fair, I want to be completely honest. I really envisioned my wedding season ending and me having a very boring month. Like I thought I'd for I thought majority of December and January were just going to be like a vacation. I didn't think there'd be much to do. I was wrong. Uh, it seems that everyone under the sun is interested in me catering their Christmas. And notice I said interested because they don't want to pay me to do it. They just want me to do it. <laughs> um, so people will contact me, want me to cater their, their family Christmas, which is, of course, awesome. And I'm I'm touched and honored to do it. And then they don't return phone calls, which makes me sad. So uh, it's been a lot of phone, ca- like phone tag, a lot of office work, a lot of paperwork, a lot of little stuff like that. But that's pretty much it. Uh, we're getting ready to drive the boys down to Tennessee or we're not going. We're going to Cincinnati, Ohio, and then uh, their dad's going to meet us there. But we're going to do that tomorrow. So tomorrow's going to be a long day on the road. Yeah. I mean, and then then the normal job work. That's about it.
0: I'm super excited. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's been good. I haven't been doing badly.
0: I like that everybody's getting a hold of you for the catering. Uh, I know we have also. So,
1: yeah, I got a message from Jamie
0: today. Yep. So that's kind of cool. You'll that will be your first catering that probably ends up at Dabble.
1: That's what I was told, and I get to. I I can't wait to play around with the food. I get to completely choose the menu, which is like a treat for me. Most people just want like the normal. I want my ham, my baked chicken. Give me that turkey, but I get to completely do the menu with very little restrictions. So I'm really excited. Excellent. I was trying to tell them that they had to give you some
0: guidance because you don't want to pick it without a budget and vice versa, but hopefully you've
1: worked it out. That's actually not completely true. I'd love to pick things without a budget. <laughs> I don't like dealing with the people that are spending the money after I've done the picking. <laughs> that's that's the problem. If they want me to go, you know, buck wild, I will make them the greatest meal they've ever had. Because with the like the numbers is only sixteen, so the number being so small, I really can't treat it like a restaurant. I don't have to do like normal buffet food, so it's really exciting. However, with that being said, budget's important because even though there's only sixteen of them, I, I mean, I'm sure they don't want me to like spend like be like it's five thousand dollars. You're welcome. I'm not going to do that. So. <laughs> right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's going to be fun. Well,
0: well, I spent today cleaning up Dabble, doing a little bit of organizing. I've cleaned up almost all the Christmas stuff from the bring, drop off, take, swap, whatever you wanted to call that. And now I've started moving in things like my book and live lunch t-shirts and things over in here so we can get those. Put on the walls and maybe sell some of them too. We're talking about getting dabble t-shirts, maybe edible landscape t-shirts, all kinds of different things that we can put here.
1: That's awesome.
0: So we're getting there. We're starting to get more bookings as you just heard that my wife's work probably booking here. And
1: I was told that's where it's going to be.
0: And we have other people who are photographers coming in to do free family photo night.
1: That's That's awesome. You said free family photo night?
0: Yeah. So there's a new photographer in town, and, and she was trying to figure out a good way to get known. And together we were brainstorming. So, what she did is she picked about three hours on a Sunday mm-hmm. where she's just going to let everybody come in and she'll put the backdrops up and all that kind of stuff here at Dabble. They can get a picture taken. And if, if they like that, they can purchase the digital, you know, so they can have more made or they can actually schedule a future event where they can just get all their pictures done. But in the meantime, Everybody who shows up, free family photo.
1: That's awesome.
0: So that was kind of a cool setup. I think I like that. And everybody loves free, and it's a great way to market and advertise, and it's a good use of the space.
1: Well, it is. And just to help plug your your building, what do you charge to Rent Dabble?
0: Dabble can be, it's dependent upon the day. The cheapest rent that you can find is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's $15 an hour. If you rent for the whole day, it's $140.
1: Okay. So then with photographer and perspective, what day is she looking to do it on?
0: On Sunday.
1: Okay. So what's the rental for Sunday per hour? It
0: is $20.
1: And how many hours does she want it? Three. So it's that's like $60. Mm-hmm. I assume she's paying for that. Of that's, course. It's yeah. that's, that's like the cheapest marketing any small business owner can really do say, yeah. hey, I'll give you the product for free. And then her only cost is paying you to rent the space, fuel going there. And if she, you know, really... The trick of photography when it comes to like like family photos and children is get the kids to smile. If you can get the kids to smile so you can take their picture. Parents are going to love you and you're always going to have return business. Yeah, that's, I, I that's, thought
0: it was a great idea. It's it's another wonderful ad. We're getting people now already signing up for STEM classes and actually special thanks to a listener who also donated so other kids could get into the STEM class even if they couldn't afford to see.
1: Really, it's awesome. Who yeah. can, can you mention their name, or you you don't want to keep them anonymous? I can. I think I can mention it. If
0: not, she'll yell at me. So we'll find out. It's a band up that's always coming on and chatting with us.
1: Now, isn't she the lady who has the uh, like the bakery or for the like the dog treats and stuff?
0: I just ordered just a couple of days ago. It's funny because Sheldon, as weird as my dog can be, he does like his treats. And if I lay hers down next to any of the other ones, it's that one that that he'll take every single time. So I had to order more. I mean, she's doing a good job. Yeah, it's a it's an actual bakery. It's pretty fantastic. So,
1: <laughs> well, that's awesome. And like, I'm here to tell you, when it comes to dogs, you think that oh, a dog just likes to eat. Well, that be that could be very true. But like my dog, especially who is a little high anxiety, but she's pretty prissy. Like my dog is annoying as she is, and is uh, all over the place as her personality is. She really just loves food, and she loves attention. But she loves things the way she wants them. So if you give her something she doesn't like, she'll pick it up. And she'll lick it and then she'll put it right in front of you and look at you like, Are you serious? <laughs> and if well, I look at her, if I look at her and say, Gypsy, eat it, she will. She'll look me dead straight in the face with the most disgusted dog look and chomp it down and then wait for something better. <laughs> I only say that because there are certain dog trees she won't eat. There's some. there's a dog bakery in Bertrand that she doesn't like anything from at all. At all. Well, she'll you look. need
0: to yeah, you need to try this one. It's Howl About It Bakery in Howl. There's a website, Hello? Google it. You'll find dog treats all over the place and toys and other stuff there too. But I get primarily the treats because it's one of those things that Sheldon just loves. So
1: that's awesome. So
0: anyways, let's take a look at what we're going to talk about today. This week, I want to talk about sustainability and home prices, how it can help and hurt when you start looking at these two categories. Home pricing does a lot of things that a lot of people don't necessarily realize. We're usually excited when our value of our home goes up because we've we've earned that value. We're very disappointed when it goes down. I mean, I, and I see your face. I say earned that value because you've maintained your payment long enough for the value to go up.
1: Okay, so you didn't actually earn it at all. You you did your job at paying your debt, and that means that the house, you earned your home. You purchased it, but like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't a huge factor in the pricing of houses like a prospective house with is the fluctuation of the prices of the homes selling around it?
0: Yeah, actually, and I I built a deck at the world's worst time. Okay, you so sure I did. I did. I I built a COVID deck which cost way more than a normal deck.
1: You spent more on four beams than I probably spent at every vehicle I've owned. Continue.
0: (laughs) So it is, it, it it almost didn't move the price of my home. What did move the price of my home though, was that all the surrounding homes in Duran sold for 35 to 45% more than they did in the past. So yes, you can earn a better price by by really doing updates, but that is at a bathroom or you know something big, <sighs> paint isn't going to do it. Flooring can in certain rooms. My floor, my hardwood floors in my kitchen sold that house to me. That wide open floor plan with the hardwood floors is what sold it to
1: me. That's because it's beautiful, but I, I still don't agree with the term earn. I understand you got to spend money to make money, but like if you're... <laughs> I'm never going to understand this. I'm always going to be in the closet. That's that. that I want people to understand what I mean. Understand this. It's not that I'm completely ignorant and can't comprehend the housing market. I just think it's imbecilic and ridiculous. With that being said, let's move on. Sure. Well, the reason why.
0: the reason why is this another tipsy nick night because someone did mention that they really enjoyed tipsy nick i'm starting to feel like maybe
1: is this tipsy nick no this is not tipsy nick notice there's no curse words tonight what i cannot believe you left it in there Uh, i did i was was ashamed this is uh the side of nick that i generally keep in a bottle because there's a lot of aspects of the normal day-to-day american life that i just don't understand not that I sit there in the dark and I just get everything wrong. I just look at the way things are supposed to be done, the way society expects us to do it. And I think it's outlandish and ridiculous for a lot of people, many generations, the stamp of approval. I've made it. I'm an adult is a 30 year mortgage. Like nothing says I'm an adult, like $180,000 in debt. So I just think that it's, there's a lot of things I don't, I don't agree with. And I think that this podcast has really, if nothing else fueled my fire to pick fights with those things. Cause I don't believe in a lot of societal standards.
0: Well, and I think a lot of people, when when they log into this or start listening to this podcast, is going to wonder how the heck sustainability ties into home pricing. But I think you, it's pretty simple to see how social injustices can happen purely by the system that we have when it comes to housing. How your house value, your taxable house value, and how that money makes it back to their cities or townships, and how that funds the schools and how that funds the police, and nicer houses create more funding. Houses that are considered to be less appealing create less, which starts to create these pockets. So, you know, what happens when a, an area is deemed bad because when an area is deemed bad and and i know this for years and years and years of flint where flint ends up on every magazine cover on as the worst place to live in the past then you have the flint water crisis there's all these things and all the prices in flint started to plummet mm-hmm. which and then they lost a bunch of schools you know we had People step in, eliminate a bunch of schools. Now you have less kids going to public school. Some of them are going to charter. Some start homeschooling, whichever they decide to do. But it disrupted the whole community when the the values of everything dropped.
1: Well, I think that like most problems in communities, this is something that has a lot of contributing factors and you'd have to look at stats to get, you know, some real numbers on this stuff. But I assume that when, when you have a community like Flint, like a city that's a, it's a powerhouse city when it, when it, be, when it came to fruition and it's built around these, these massive industries and the industries start to kind of wind down and, and kind of move elsewhere where the overhead's cheaper and stuff like that. You have these communities that are kind of like debt stricken they're poverty stricken. They have people that go from making, you know, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year to making, you know, minimum wage. Wage, or maybe a little higher than that. They have they have all the same debt they had. Now they have half the income, so they're going to be forced to start making changes, making choices. Some people plant their feet and find ways to make it work, and then some people just move out of the neighborhoods. And when you have less of a tax base in those neighborhoods, that means that all the social services are going to decline. And I, I, I say that because a couple of the social services are really important. It's been it's been proven that adequate policing in big cities is what influences. It is a huge deciding factor in bringing new business to those communities. You have the business and communities, you have more people in there, more tax base. Like there's a lot of things that contribute to it. And if you know, it's one of the things where if you take a maze and you you start punching holes in the walls, and it's just a bunch of bunch of bricks. Take a community and start taking little pillars out of the community. Next thing you know, you just got a bunch of people living there, and it's it's not a good place to raise your kids anymore. It goes just goes downhill. You know, it's one of those things where you know debt and, and and hardship create desperation, and and if no one steps in to really like help, then it it almost never gets better. I'm sorry I went on a rant, but like it breaks my heart to see this kind of stuff. And it's not Whoa. just Flint. Flint's a, Flint's what we're close to. was Saginaw's. No different yeah Um, i
0: mean there's cities all over the nation and even all over the world i always tell this story that when i teach stem and i'm on the north end of flint there were times that we decided to create curriculum based on solar power yeah why why because we couldn't go in the buildings because there was no air conditioning and they wouldn't turn the lights on because they had such little funding we just created curriculum outside so kids wouldn't know the difference but when I traveled into other areas, some of the surrounding suburbs, I had beautiful facilities, almost college-type facilities, cameras that would follow me around a headset with speakers in a room that didn't need them, no bigger than dabble. And it was an amazing setup. I tell people all the time who think all the schools get the same money and others just squander it. When I went to Flint, I yeah, you know, or when I went to those suburb places, I had every tool humanly possible. When I went to Flint, I brought my own pencils.
1: Well, okay. So I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. You know, I've had these conversations, but something that I, it's been made apparent to me between being a parent and, and having a friend, a couple friends that are teachers is like the school can have lots of funding. And, and a lot of times, most of their funding, I think goes in the right place, but, even if a school has adequate funding, it still doesn't really cover all the costs of the small things. You talk about pencils or like how many times you had to send a box of Kleenex to school with your kids when they're younger. I mean, there's lots of things that schools, while maybe properly funded or funded to what the state says should be adequate, still can't afford. And these are simple things. These are things that like you wouldn't even expect a school not to be able to afford. But if you have to bring your own pencil, that says a lot.
0: Well, the fact, I mean, think about this. So let's say in certain communities, the schools are so bad. They don't have the supplies. All these things are happening. Those kids are not getting the same education. Okay. And, And maybe the same curriculum is there, but they can't concentrate the same. They can't, they're not under the same conditions. And what that does is create that social injustice. We have a family member who said
1: all schools get the same amount of money.
0: And I just started laughing. Well,
1: I think that, to some degree, on paper, there's probably some stupid law or loophole that says that's right, but... I'm sure that there are many aspects of them that. that might be true. But when you look at the whole picture, like things that make a difference, like I don't know, attendance, um, like how many different types of state tests that the kids have to take that just that help out towards funding, or even little things like, and I mean, okay, let's, let's, uh, here's another thing. When we say funding, we need to be very specific. There are lots of different ways schools get funded, and every single one is unique. To or not unique, I'm sorry, specific to the, the, the prospective kids. We talked before about COVID and like the food assistance and how like if you didn't show up to take it, the school wouldn't get funded for it again. Right. The the state's not just giving out free money. They're only to give the money that they think the school needs. If school's got a if it's a big school has a small tax bracket and they don't have enough kids, they're not gonna get any funding. And as far as I'm aware, and I because I don't know much, but didn't Flint used to have like three or four high schools, now it's down to like one. Yeah, well they closed when we had an emergency manager, Mm -hmm. they shut
0: down nearly all of the schools they okay. shut down the vast majority of schools in the Flint area there's only a couple of lo- of them left mostly on the outskirts and they opened a bunch of pay schools private schools.
1: Well, and, and this is the reason, this is the reason that I, I bring this up. Okay. So if you have a school, a standard high school is probably built to accommodate anywhere from 400 to maybe seven or 800 kids, depending on the size of your school district, right? Look like at their big schools. Mm-hmm. My graduating class was 455 people. There's a big, there's a big class for Montrose. If you have a school that's built to accommodate those many students, like, sorry, that many students. And then it's over the years goes down to only having a couple hundred in there that's a problem now it's a problem for two reasons i don't really care that there's empty rooms but i do care for the fact that not only is the school getting half the funding it used to it still has a building that's twice the size that it needs so it doesn't have enough funding to actually even honestly even maintain the building and the staff to maintain it like this is what i'm trying this is the point i'm trying to push like when you talk about like these schools getting funded and if i'm wrong but it doesn't all the teacher salaries come out of this funding. I mean, isn't isn't that funding for the school all encompasses everything. So that's the funding that has to go to sports programs. It has to go to music and theater and art. And that's a lot of, a lot of reasons like a lot of schools cut art programs is because there's not enough interest in it. It's not because art's bad. It's because if there's not interest in it, why is the school going to waste money on it? And, if they cut it for the sake of education i don't agree with that but if it focuses on kids getting a better education i understand that but my my point with all this or i guess one of my points cuz all i know how to do is rant uh, is that if there's all these schools and there's no there's no children they're going to be the ones that are there are getting the crap they're getting the, like the short end of the stick they're getting the crap shoot they're not getting the full benefit of what they could be provided for i mean come on man you you've, well, what, seen, you've told actually... me so many stories
0: what actually happened is you had normal classrooms all over Flint, and then they started closing schools and jamming 40 kids in a classroom instead of 20.
1: Okay. And well, then they
0: started adding 50 kids into a classroom instead of 20. Then you have one teacher trying to accommodate twice as many kids, and these kids are getting less and less and less attention. Yeah, That I mean, is what actually happens. Well,
1: you know how many kids need one-on-one? Honestly, I mean, and I'm not saying all the time, but listen, if something is easy for your your kid, the worst thing you can do is interfere with what they're doing. But if it's hard for them, they need one-on-one interaction. They need you to show them the steps to make it right or make it easier or to find the tools to do it for themselves, depending on how your child learns. So if you're cramming that many kids in a room, then that's obviously going to be the problem.
0: Right. So that's what happened in Flint. So then some parents who could pulled their kids out of public schools and went to private schools and started paying for school,
1: which kills the, the funding for the public school. Right. It, it does. I mean, it it's well, then know. they
0: started passing laws, allowing you to get public funding for private schools. And it's just a game to try to move public funding into these private companies that own them. It is what it is because that's, let's get off the schools for a minute because it, it will get us going for the whole show. So there's other issues with housing, and I'm going to ask a question. When it comes to student loans, for example, what happens when there's a whole generation of people who can't buy a house?
1: Oh Lord, have mercy, Mike. Uh, you think the housing conversation was going to be long? I <laughs> will try to cliff note this. I don't. Th- for starters, I don't think there is a solid argument to explain why a whole generation should buy a house. Uh, but I don't know. I think that there's too much. I think there's too much student debt. I think there are too many schools that push two-year, three-year, four-year programs and something that can be earned in 10 months. I think that you're talking about sustainability. I think that like sa- you know saddling up a bunch of young people with 10 to 15 up as high as $30,000, $50,000 in debt before they actually find the field that they want to be in is uh, it's very counterproductive to our youth. As someone who went to school for a number of years just to find out that he didn't have any interest in doing what he thought he wanted to do because he made an impetuous decision when he was younger Mm -hmm. and ended up losing my income tax return for five years to pay those student loan off. I think that if you put a bunch of kids behind the eight ball, they're going to spend the rest of their life pushing that boulder up the hill and never actually they're never actually going to take the steps or the chances to make any real change for the benefit of themselves. I really believe that. I really believe when you put them behind the eight ball, it kills hope and desire for creativity. And they lose that that fire to go after what they want. I really believe that.
0: Well, and so (laughs) this has happened in the United States a lot, especially after 2008 during the housing crisis. So what happened was, was larger companies ate up all the houses bought all the houses, turned them all into rentals. What happens then when only the rich companies can buy the house and control the housing market? There's a lot of things that happen with sustainability that our current system violates completely. We are not sustainable when it comes to housing. First of all, in the United States, our houses are grossly sized in comparison to most countries. I had friends from Italy And I was telling him, oh, if you come, you can stay with me. He's like, oh, do you have enough room? Like, oh, you know, when the kids aren't even there, I've got 2200 square feet. You can stay in any of the rooms. They're like, I'm sorry, what? Like, that's a yard (laughs) to some of them.
1: (laughs) And
0: a lot of the housing around the world is much smaller than the United States by far.
1: Of course it is. I mean, our entire culture is based on, you know, being a consumer and and buy more and more and more. And so what do you do with all the crap you have? You get a bigger place to hold it. I've told you this before. Heather and I have a house the size we do because we have too much junk. Yes, we have three children. That is absolutely true. But we live in a house that has three bedrooms upstairs, three bedrooms downstairs, a second living room, like a a huge basement that we do. We dub the library. And it's full of our junk. Like with literally, if there's a square inch that's available, I've shoved an action figure in it. Like there's so, so much stuff here. We don't need this space. At all, most of the time, especially when consumers are always around, I don't want this space, but it's it's part of the culture here. I'm not I'm not defending the culture. I'm just trying to use my own personal story as a a reference to what I think the problem is. You go to other countries, not only do they not have this this need or desire or even understanding for a house this big, they don't have all the at least not as much of the crap peddled to them constantly. Oh, and going back to the student loan debt, real quick, one second. I do want to add one thing to that. When I went to Baker every quarter or semester i don't remember what it was called there this is the conversation i have financial aid this is how much this is how much you get from grants this is what your your total needed for your you know your your tuition is there's a deficit of four hundred dollars. We'll give you twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. We'll give you sixteen. They sold me a loan based on you want some money,
0: right? Well, you're gonna need a laptop. You're gonna need pencils. They you're sold gonna...
1: me. Yeah, that yeah. financial aid are might as well have been an interest sales. Yeah. But now that I've said that, I'm done. Just. Okay. He <laughs> just
0: wanted to get that out there.
1: Oh, it eats me alive. Well, if I and could everybody... go back in time, I'd kick myself in the face. And everybody knows where I stand
0: on it. I just think education shouldn't be something that should bury anyone. I think I am a completely different person because of partially my education. I really enjoyed learning as an adult and I think that anybody should get that opportunity and it shouldn't handicap them. But what I've also found when watching this home pricing stuff is that it creates these massive divisions of wealth that if you bought a house In a nice neighborhood and it goes up, you become more wealthy. But those who have a home in depressed areas or deprived areas are actually losing their wealth. That living there costs them more than their payment. Because the longer they're there, the more they lose their value. So what happens is you have this huge cycle, this cycle that happens over a long period of time. You you can pick town A as it gets worse and worse and worse. And I don't mean worse because people are running around causing crime. I mean worse because housing prices continue to drop for one reason or another. Could be there's a factory sitting there that that closed down and all the jobs left that area. That can happen too. So it gets to a point where all these people lose their value. And either they bail out at whatever value they have left, or a lot of people lose it. They lose the home because of one reason or another. In comes these the rich investment firms who start buying sections and pouring money into it because they only have to pour a fraction because they're getting everything at just a smaller taste of what they would anywhere else, which brings up those rates to the point where The people who do live there in these depressed areas that are still considered depressed right next to the really nice spot end up being priced out of where they live and have to leave. And then then the cycle continues. It becomes a very nice place to live and then it slowly comes back down the other side and we go through these cycles.
1: But one of the things that I've noticed—I don't, I don't know if I would have called it a cycle—but when you look at uh, this average mortgage being anywhere from fifteen to thirty years, it is like a generational cycle because it's not like something the average person does more than once in their life. Not for an extended period of time. I mean, lots of people do buy homes, wait till the market's up, and sell them and flip them. I understand that, but mm-hmm. what I'm what I'm getting at is like I was talking about like. GM and stuff like that, moving out of communities, there is a lot of people. I don't obviously have a number on it, but there's a lot of communities and a lot of people that moved out of these communities, you know, 30, 40 years ago, where the people that were left in them, people that didn't sell, that kept, you know, they were proud of their house. They worked hard to get it and they grew old in those communities. Their, their property value is next to nothing. Not, not because I'm I'm not saying that it's not worth something, but comparatively to a, a higher end neighborhood only because there's too much property available in the area nothing's selling because no one wants to move in there so you have all these houses that are for sale that have been for sale for for years and you know the neighborhoods i'm talking about the ones where most of the houses have been gutted for people looting and in straight i mean the really bad areas of flint when we were growing up like that you could buy i remember a time where you could go into flint and this is probably i'm 35 so i'd say 17 years ago i was in my late teens uh you could you could go into Flint in certain certain neighborhoods. They weren't big neighborhoods, but you could buy a, a big. I mean, these are big houses. These big, like these gorgeous two three story homes with five six bedrooms and stuff. And you could buy that, and the plot of land was on for a couple thousand dollars. They just there was no there's no value. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and
0: it's it because you have this financial devastation. Most people scatter. The few stay. You have less services, less safety. There's no
1: tax base to pay them.
0: Right. And then there becomes this lack of regulation. I mean, you get people all the time are like, oh, I hate going to Flint. There's trash everywhere. There's no people there. There's no one working there. There's no one helping there. They just expect the residents are going to do it all. There's already resident groups doing things in, in, in that area. But when there's no regulation, you end up with companies dumping toxic waste in places. You've got them dumping things in the river. There's food deserts. You can't even get decent food because there is no place there to get it. The grocery store moves out and your grocery store becomes the corner store.
1: One of the things that I never realized about Flint and until there's there was a Netflix like documentary series I was done a few years back that was really eye-opening for me. It was in its heyday, Flint city of Flint had over a million people living in it and working in it, and now it's like around 100,000. It's under so,
0: 100,000.
1: Well, it, it's definitely under now, but I mean, at the time of that airing of that show, it was 100,000, and when you, when you look at that show and, and you look at those numbers, it kind of puts into perspective that if an area was big enough, and the city of Flint really is huge, like, I mean, in terms of city parameters, it's big if the city and township of Flint at one time had so many residents and is now down to less than 10% of what it held. That means that you have these the remaining services, which are incredibly limited policing, incredibly limited fire. Like we're talking like real limited to, to canvas this whole area. Like if, if something happens, it's not that you can call 911. It's not that the officers they have aren't trying. They just can't get there in time. They're so far away. And I, I'm just trying to put perspective so people understand that. It's not that these cities, are too, they're not with it without redemption. It's just they need help. There's There needs to be some changes. You can only do so much with, with what you have. There, I'll tell you, there are a lot of really grit and powerfully awesome like individuals. When I say powerfully awesome, I just mean formidable people, amazing souls in Flint that are just like what I consider a picture of strength in human character. There are some amazingly durable people in Flint that that do what they can to help their community, to help their neighbors. Like, I don't care what some of the, the statistics say. There are amazing people in Flint that still love their city and are still fighting to make it a better place. But it's a big place.
0: Yeah. Well, in 2008 was the first time it really raised its ugly head. So these things have been happening to cities forever okay these cycles and really the keeping the poor poorer the rich get richer it's a game that's played on a pretty regular basis you know unfortunately they say it takes money to make money and you know the only people who have money to make money are rich people but in 2008 it took a change or it took a turn and made it obvious to more people because the middle class shrunk dramatically the value in which everybody was buying all these homes they were they were in a heyday we were running through some great times people were mortgaging their house and getting back 30 40 50,000 in cash cuz it's only going through the roof and when the when the bottom of that fell out all those promises made didn't hold water and the middle class almost overnight evaporated. All that wealth that they held within their home was gone. They had a very high payment and and no job to pay it.
1: And that's what I was trying to get at when I was poking fun at. You kept saying like earned blah, 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 because it's, it's, it's a house. Those numbers are manufactured. They're not real. It is a house. Mm-hmm. You can tell me it's worth based on what everything else is selling for. That With the potential, you could get this for if it's sold. Okay, on paper, I'm worth this much, but only if I sell the place I have to live. That's the only time you're worth anything. Yes, you can take a loan out against your house, but that's borrowing money. So you're not really worth anything. Well, you're worth it's, the it's... equity.
0: So if you owe 50000 but they consider the house worth 150000 you mm-hmm. have
1: access Two
0: hundred thousand. Your credit rating goes very high.
1: Yeah, which is ridiculous because the credit rating and all that is based on the premise that they will get to be able, they'll be able to take what you have. Correct.
0: So, person A who has that scenario mm-hmm. has access can go to a bank and say, "Give me a hundred thousand dollars," and that bank will likely do it, knowing that they're going to get most of that money back than the house. Yep. So then, person B who is in a disenfranchised neighborhood has no access to equity. They're always in negative equity, which always drives their credit rating down, reducing their ability to improve their situation. And that's where the social justice comes in when it comes to housing and how, how our system works, how our market works. Because if you are on the winning side of that, and 2008 was the first time people on the winning side had pendulumed back over to the losing side for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that is why it became a massive uproar in the United States. This this can't be this way. And the government then stepped in because the middle class had now been hit just like other classes before. Even some of the richer classes actually took a couple of shots during that time. And that's completely unacceptable by the federal government.
1: <laughs> Anytime people play by the rules of the game and then the game gets changed, people are going to lose their minds. I don't blame anyone for being distraught. And and during that recession, there was a lot of problems. The housing market tanked. Lots of industries felt it. Lots of people stopped spending money. They stopped spending money. They lost their jobs. Like It was almost like a depression. And I understand the influence that had, but it wasn't sustainable then. And it will probably never be sustainable. There's never going to be a time when they find a way to make that work.
0: Well, I think that the market itself They have to keep selling the concept of the American dream being your house. Because I'm seeing, at least with all the kids I work with, none of them
1: want a house. Okay. Remember what you just said? Yeah. I want you to really think back. Do you remember, oh, about 14 years ago, this little fat Armenian brother of yours was living (laughs) with you. And you were lecturing him on getting his life together and I was like why don't want a house just a bunch of bills I don't want to have to mow my own lawn and owe taxes and stuff and you looked at me cross-eyed and you couldn't comprehend why i did i want couldn't
0: it. well I, and I, and I still don't I still have problems Jamie helps me a lot with the stuff that has been just embedded in me i I have a lot of those old issues and they pop up every once in a while and i they, they look at it weird and go hmm that's me. I, I still too. have that.
1: I do too. I just have different ones. The, the my, ones
0: my son doesn't. I hope not. And I'm trying my best to not be that guy that I was with you because in that back then it was get your get your license, get your job, get your house, and work until you die. I had the same thing taught to me that Dad lived. You know that he went through and did the job he hated until he retired and then retired without adequate retirements and all these things i i had that in me too and i'm
1: still wrong to this day i Me saying that wasn't, I wasn't trying to like prove that you were wrong. Well, the point I was trying to prove is that there's, there's, there was aspects of, of our way of life that I just never understood. And that was how I started this conversation out because I don't, I don't look at it as sustainable. I don't look at it as the acceptance as a person of a giant debt. You got to pay for 30 years as a way to live a productive life. Now, do you need a place to live? Yes. Do you do as a human being? who is not naturally built to survive winter, you need a place to live. You you do. You we need we need beds, we need power, we need we need things. But there's so much more to this life as a human, as an individual, as part of a bigger organism because we are humans. That when you look at all that and then look at the American dream, I really think that you can pick and choose what your own American dream should be. And that that old school one isn't sustainable. No, and
0: it, it isn't. It is And that's like one of the notes here. What happens if this trend continues? Because what they usually do is do some kind of redistribution of wealth or send it to a segment of people to help them get homes. And it just kind of nurses it along a little bit. But I think we're to a point now where enough kids watched families lose their homes. Enough kids. I mean, shoot, even Jamie is more. uh, She's to her. It's more important to have a experience than a thing.
1: Well, I mean, anyway, yeah. Can you blame her? So when you were talking about 2008, when did the housing crash actually happen? What year? Well, it was 2008. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So if 2008, if you were five years old in 2008, you would be, what, 18 now? Mm-hmm. So okay. you watched
0: your family go through this torment.
1: You, you watched your, your family who you can say what you want every parenting style is different but in many cases i'm sure you watched your parents come home from jobs and not sure not sure if they were going to keep their jobs maybe your parents lost their job maybe you guys scraped maybe you guys had to had to move because you couldn't afford your house you know whatever the case may be that I'm sure that made a dent mm-hmm. and i would hope that anyone that went through that went i don't want to do that i don't want that to be me
0: well and it's it's funny cuz you you see all these my generation folks are older going, Oh, these kids, they don't want nothing. They don't, they'd rather not work. They'd rather not do things. Well, we're just angry because we worked that whole time. than things we didn't want to do with, uh, we should, that is actually envy. <laughs>
1: every they... every generation says it about the generation that follows hard times, create strong people, strong people, create good times, good times, create weak people, weak people, create bad times, bad times, create strong people. This is a cycle. This is the way it goes. Every generation wants to do better for the generation they spawn their children. And then simultaneously complain about that because they're giving them a better life than they had. It's like this, I'm going to let you enjoy this great thing, but God, I'm going to guilt you for it. And it just goes around and around and around and around. And it, it's it's ridiculous but i'm i'm guilty of it i complain to my kids all the time about how easy they have it and then i embellish stories about when i was a kid to make my my life sound like it was so much harder dude our life was a dreamboat yes was it was it perfect no no one's is but like when i look at the grand scheme of things of the great and the bad things that happened in my life i had it way better than most kids i really did
0: yeah, and I look back at things that I created a lot of my own hardships.
1: You like doing things the hard way, Mike. <laughs> I uh
0: there was hardships, but they I own those. Those were mine <laughs> to begin with. I could have avoided those hardships, but I was me.
1: Uh we could talk about the name carved in the
0: bench. We don't need to talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, <sir. laughs> so it is I I I want my kids to go do what they need to do what they want to do. There was a lot of things in the past that I may have done that I didn't, that maybe I would have if, if it wasn't a financial burden or it wasn't going to make me struggle that much more than I already was. Because every person has their own battles. It is what it is. But sustainability is a concept that allows people to go do the things they want to do. You get, you get this life and you got to use it, you know, you got to use it for for the things that you want to use it for. And it doesn't matter what those things are. What the system has set up is a cycle in which you have to work until you die to be productive, to get the things they tell you you should want. Mm-hmm. You know, Jamie and I are already talking about downsizing, you know, because... As we get more and more into sustainability, Aiden's starting to get a little older and he's going to be headed off to college in a few years. Do we need such a big place? No, no, we don't. And we're already talking about that downsizing. How many people in America with the prices continuously going up, up, up are just going to live with more people who are going to share places and keep that cost down so that they can go do the things they want to do. How many people are going to get little teeny rentals, efficiencies in places?
1: You know, I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm actually glad you asked that question. A long time ago, it made sense. I'm talking back when everything was farming to live with your entire family, to have all your siblings and everything on the same property because you worked the same land. You shared in the same bounty. You you made the same meals. Everything like your family was a community unto itself on top of being part of the neighbors and stuff. We're possibly looking at going back towards something like that—not necessarily farming, but living together as a close-knit family, of large families, because it—it's just more economical. It, it's more sustainable. Why? Like, and you should know this. I mean, like, if if you're going to cook for three people or seven people, is there unless you're really like making mignon, If you're just doing like spaghetti or something, there's really not much of an added food cost. Like it's right. like an extra couple dollars. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that I think that for me, maybe it's just cause I have, maybe I have a catering background that I look at food like that, but it makes more sense. You know, it's, it would make more sense to pay one bigger consumers bill than three of them that are all big. Right. It's, it, it, you know, I, I just think that I think it's definitely down the road. I mean, you look at the college dorms and stuff like that. Like that's not a terrible idea. You get big rooms, put a bunch of bunk beds and if people want to live together, let them live together. I used to, okay, I'm going to admit something that I'm ashamed to say this out loud, but I'm going to say it. So it is what it is. The entire time I've been a dad, I would always poke fun at my kids. Oh, when you're 18, you're out of here. But this, during COVID, I, I started adopting the mindset that I give my kids a lot of crap because they're not adults. And I never realized that a lot of conversations we've had, I treat them like adults. And sometimes... It's really good. Most of the time, it's not. I want my kids to feel like no matter what happens in their life, they can come back home. I'm not saying to the same house, but if, if my kid goes out and takes on the world and he, he gives it his all and then he gets knocked out of his butt, I want him to feel like he can come back and he can stay with us and he can feel you know safe and we can let him help him get back up and go do it again. I want my family to be sustainable, a emotional, a personal, and a financial level. And if things keep getting as expensive as they are, that's going to be harder as time goes on. If there's anything I want my kids to do is to have the necessary tools to make any decision that they make as intelligently as possible with the understanding that they have to deal with the consequences as long as they know what the consequences are going to be. Since I've been, I'm still going through the school of hard knocks, I want them to do better than I did. I want them to be smarter than I am and to make better choices and to not to fall in the same traps that I did. Did you know there's a rule about when you buy a house how much you're supposed to spend of your of your income on the payment there is a wives' tale on everything. It's the same stupid idea that tells you how much you should spend in an engagement ring. If you ever heard that one,
0: well, that was actually made by the people who make the rings. But yeah, I'm,
1: sh- I'm sure the first housing company created this. Continue.
0: Twenty-eight percent is what they think that your house payment should be of your income. That's, no,
1: that's not It's not. Re- it's not real. You can't do that.
0: The max they expect is you to spend twenty-eight percent if you're buying it, thirty percent if you're renting it.
1: Oh, because there's a 2% difference in those numbers.
0: But the, the majority of Americans are over 37% of their yeah. income goes to their house. I and don't I don't mean like everything all. in the house, just the payment.
1: Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. Which tells
0: house. me that we have to get away from that house as the American dream thing to be sustainable.
1: Well, that's part of it. Or grossly overvaluing things that don't actually have a value. like Because houses.
0: income hasn't jumped the same as houses. Nope. So that makes it in by itself unsustainable. Yep. When people are not making more but having to spend more on a regular basis, that is not a sustainable system for capitalism. What will have to happen is that detachment because I was taught house and car, you know, get get the nice house, get the nice car, fill it with random stuff and you win. And Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, I have quotes that I I use all the time. Be ashamed to die without scoring a win for humanity. And I think that's where it's supposed to be. I think we should be out helping each other. We should be out creating better systems for the people around us, helping those who need that help, either financially, physically, mentally, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. I I think fulfillment comes from that, from that sense of unity and that sense of community, not from what can I buy?
1: I think that when a person finds a responsibility, they deem worthy to take on their shoulders. They, they find something to fight for, to work towards. And I do believe meaning of life is, you know, the adoption of responsibility. I think when you choose to fight for someone else or something else or something more important than yourself, you get a sense of fulfillment that no material object will ever give you.
0: I tell people all the time, I know what mine is. You have to earn figuring out yours. Every person, when you ask what the meaning of life is, that's an internal question. Because it's your life, you create the meaning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Well, that's all we have for this
0: week. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. There's other ways to support realistic sustainability, and that's by becoming a monthly supporter or sustainer on our Anchor hosting site, which can be found on greeningyourlife.org. Or you can just simply leave a five-star review. We greatly appreciate those. It really helps us out. It gets more people so they can actually see that this show exists and maybe they give us a listen. And a lot of times it's your kind words that convinces them to give us a shot. So thank you. And remember, we're just trying to get a little bit better. Not everything we talk about creates a resolution. But the more we learn, the more we understand, and the better decisions we can make, we can get a little bit better each and every day. And when, when the time comes, it becomes a big bit. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we will see you next week.
1: What's going on, everybody? My name
0: is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in to whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And
1: in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air.